Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want to ask you guys a question. How many of you guys are prone to getting lost? How many out there? Confession. Prone to getting... How, how many of you guys, like, don't think you're bad at getting lost, but somehow always seem to get lost? You know, like, like the, there's some conspiracy going on. The roads change when you're out there. You know, things change. Um, <laughs> yeah, exa- well, what, whatever she says, do it. That's, that's the moral of the story here. Uh, and, and now that we're in the 21st century, how many of you guys have had this happen? You've gotten lost while following your navigation. You followed it perfectly. Look at how many hands went up. That is not good. We should like write a letter to Google or Siri or Apple. My wife and I just had this happen. We went to Mexico for the weekend for Holly's wedding. Uh, Holly's one of our missionaries here, another one of our missionaries. And uh, she's serving the Lord down there, so she got married. We, we went down for the weekend, and we've been down there a number of times. I go down and teach at the Bible College over there, so we, we kind of know our way, and, you know, we usually don't have our phones with us, so we kind of memorize how to get there and how to get back. Uh, but our, our cell phone plan re- recently let us have data in Mexico, so... It's pretty cool. Now we can use navigation. We can make calls. You know, we can text if we need to, all of that. So we're driving back, and we, we know in our head kind of the routine of how to get there. And, you know, we get through um, the city, and we're getting right up to where the border is, the main entrance to, to get to the border. And all of a sudden, Google says, there is a 25-minute delay ahead of you. Would you like a shortcut? <laughs> and I'm just on autopilot like, sure, that sounds great, you know? Save 25 minutes. So we get off of the main road, and we get back into the city, and now we're in the streets, and all of a sudden we, turn out, we, we realize we're not headed towards the border any longer. We're going in a completely different direction. So we do this big loop, and then we come around, and Google tells us again not to go into the main road, to go this different way. And we're like, okay, maybe we didn't get it right the first time, so we go around the second time. Same thing happens. We, 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 we just end up in the middle of the city, so we loop around a third time. This time, we're like, you know what? I'm not going to listen to Google. I'm going to get back to the border. Well, they start closing off the little shortcuts to get into the main entrance as it gets busier and busier. And so every time we would get to where we need to go, it would close us off, and we'd have to loop around. We ended up doing this loop like six times. So we didn't save 25 minutes. We lost like 45 minutes of our time. And how many of you guys know that life is sometimes like that? You have a destination. You have a plan in your head. You kind of know where you're going, and then all of a sudden, life takes you on a loop. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, you feel like you're not moving forward any longer. You're just going in circles. And I want to 
spend some time talking to you about the seasons of life. And I want to read a poem to you from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 from one of the wisest men in the world. His name was Solomon. Most scholars agree that he wrote this. And he's going to give us a perspective of the role of time and seasons in our life. If you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll know that a lot of scholars and interpreters say that Solomon is writing from the perspective of a life without God. Just, just living here on earth without purpose, without a destination after this life. It's just whatever happens here, that's it. But I would make the case that in this section, the writer is very cognizant of the fact that God is sovereign over every season of life. And that's the big idea of what I want to talk to you guys about this morning, is that whatever season you're going through, whether it's a desirable season or an undesirable season, whether it's difficult or whether it's easy, God is sovereign over every season. And I also want to encourage a few of you that are maybe going through a particularly difficult season, a season of struggle a season of suffering, a season of disappointment. I want to remind you this morning that God is not the author of your suffering. He is the author of your healing. You don't want to run from God in seasons of difficulty because he is not the source of your suffering. He is the source of your healing. Anybody believe that this morning? So read with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, for everything, there is a season. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're in a season. You're in a season. We're all in different seasons. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Those two words there, season and time in Hebrew, are similar. And what they refer to is a certain period of time. It's not referring to something that continues on forever. It's referring to a specific point of time in your life. And what the author is going to be telling us here is that every season has a time limit. Every season doesn't continue on forever. God is sovereign over every season, and there is a purpose for every season if we allow God to do that in our lives. He says in verse 2, there is a time to be born and a time to die. Most likely when he says there's a time to be born, it's referring to giving birth. But it could also refer to just being born. And the writer is just pointing out the fact that there is a season of life where you're giving birth or you're being born, and then there's a time of death. These are all seasons of life that we will all go through. And none of these seasons are accidents, right? Being born is not an accident, and in God's kingdom, even dying is not an accident, 
And speaking specifically to being born, we would all agree that there might be accidental parents, but there are no accidental children. Amen? Everything that God does is sovereign, and he puts us in that season. It also says there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Now, during this time when Solomon was writing this, he's, he's writing about, he's writing in an agricultural society. He's writing in a farming society, and they understood seasons. They understood times and seasons. In fact, to a Jew, the entire religious calendar was built around the agricultural society, and, and their, their um, feasts and their festivals for the Lord were based on these different seasons. And what the writer is telling us is there's a time to plant and there's a time to pluck up. And anyone who has planted um, flowers or ha- has been on a farm before knows that there is a season where you plant and there is a season when you pluck up, when things just aren't You know, if there's unproductive fruit or if there's unproductive plants, you have to pull those things up. And the writer is telling us that in our lives, there are seasons where it's time to plant, maybe to start something new, and then there's times to pluck up, maybe to purge something from our lives. He says in verse 3, there's a time to kill and a time to heal. Now, this is a good point to, this is a good time to point out that the writer isn't saying, he isn't making any moral statements about one of these seasons or the other, which one's right, which one's wrong, or whether we even have a choice to go through one season or the next. So when it says there's a time to kill, he is not saying that we will all go through seasons where killing other people is okay. <laughs> Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're not in that season, <laughs> Right? Solomon is just pointing out realities of life. Whether right or wrong, there are seasons of killing. And there are seasons of healing. If you look at a military leader or those in authority that have to make very difficult decisions, you know, should we invade this country? Should should there be retribution for what has happened? They, they have to make these difficult decisions where people's lives are in their hands. He's not making statements whether those things are right or wrong when those decisions come. What he is just saying is there are seasons of life where that happens. I've heard one commentator even say that this is referring more to disease than it is to taking another person's life. And there's a time where plagues come in, sicknesses come in, and then there are times where we heal from those things. And back in that time, without modern medicine, plagues and sicknesses were a lot more prevalent and a lot more life-threatening. It says in verse 3 also, there's a time to break down and a time to build up. And if we look at this from a military perspective, then in times of war, things get destroyed. Buildings, homes, communities get destroyed during times of war. But then when that war is over, when the invasion or the fighting is complete, then there is a time to build up. 
Or we could look at this from an architectural standpoint and say, in order to build something new, oftentimes you have to tear down what is old. He says in verse 4, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. We all can relate to this season of life. Sometimes we go through a season like this within one day or even within one hour, depending upon our emotions. You know, we, we could cry at one moment and rejoice at another. We've all seen great movies that are able to, to conjure up both sides of those emotions, where one minute you're bawling your eyes out and the next minute you're laughing hysterically. And Solomon is simply pointing out that these are all seasons that we go through. Now, I should also add that as believers, we don't weep the same way that unbelievers weep. Because we don't weep, we don't um, mourn as if we don't have any hope. Because we know as believers that this life isn't the end. There is a life to come. And we believe that in the name of Jesus, the best is ahead of us. You know, time, you've heard this, time can heal our wounds. And I agree with that. Time can heal our wounds, but only hope can heal our hearts. And so when we go through seasons of weeping, we're able to look ahead and know that God is able to work all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So because of hope, we can even have our hearts healed. Amen? It says in verse 4, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Did you know there's actually seasons of dancing in life? <laughs> now, some of us are better dancers than others. Um, I won't give you an example. I, I won't reveal whether I'm a good dancer or not. I'll leave that to your imagination. <laughs> Got one person say I'm a good dancer. We could probably testify there's a few others that would disagree, but... There's seasons of dancing. In fact, in Scripture, there's actually commands to dance. If you read through the Psalms, there are actually times where they were called upon to sing, to dance, to play many instruments, to celebrate. If you look throughout the history of Israel after great victories over their enemies or after God did mighty works, there was actually seasons of of dancing. But we also know that there are seasons of mourning. Two complete extremes, two opposites, right? Dancing is a sign of, of, of rejoicing and celebration, and mourning is a sign of pain and grief. The writer says in verse 5, there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Now, this, this might not make much sense to us, uh, but in, in, in Israel, uh, it's a very rocky place. Um, it, the, the soil is very rocky. It's very difficult to, to dig through the dirt. And so when it says there's a time to cast away stones, what that means is you have to get rid of the stones before you can get soil ready if you were going to plant something. But to add stones, to gather stones together, you would actually do that in times of war. 
because your enemy would come on horses and chariots and foot soldiers, and you would want to add as many stones as you could into the terrain to make it difficult for them to move forward. So really this is talking about there's a time for peace and a time for war. He also says in verse 5, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Now, if you've been to Israel before, you know that uh, they are very affectionate people, very demonstrative in their affection for one another. And so when they embrace, I mean, it is an embrace. Like, you, 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 you can tell what's going on. And so what the writer is probably saying here is that there is a time to embrace, to say hello, to get to know somebody new, and there are even times where we have to say goodbye. We have to refrain from embracing. Verse 6 says that there's a time to seek and a time to lose. This most likely isn't talking about relationships, but simply um, physical items in our lives. There, there are times where, where we should pursue things, and there are times where it's just better to let things go. He also says there's a time to keep and a time to cast away. And the writer, again, is not making, he's not making any judgments. He's, he's not making any moral statements on whether accumulating things is good or bad. He's just saying there are seasons where we accumulate things for enjoyment or for memories, and then there are seasons where we cast things away, where we purge things and get rid of things. And uh, how many guys, how many purgers out there? This is like your favorite season. You know, let's, let's purge the house of things we don't need. Verse 7 says, there's a time to tear and a time to sow. In ancient Israel and in the ancient Near East in general, when they would mourn or when they would grieve, they would actually tear their clothes. It was a sign of mourning. They, they would put ashes on their head. They would get on their knees. They would fast. Sometimes they would even hire people to, to weep and to wail alongside of them. Their, their mourning, just like their embracing, is very demonstrative. And so what it's saying here is when there's a time to tear, it means there's a time to mourn. There's a time to grieve. And there's also a time to sow. After that time of grieving or mourning is over, you can sew that garment back together. It says there's a time to keep silent and a time to speak. How many of you guys wish some of your friends would have a time of silence a little more often? There's actually wisdom in Demonstrating self-control in our speech, not, not speaking, be, being, being slow to speak and being quick to listen. In fact, the book of Proverbs talks about this, that a fool is known by his words. He, he, he speaks before he should or he goes on rambling when he shouldn't. So there's a time to keep silent and a time to speak up. And then verse 8, there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And again, the question goes, well, is there a time to hate? 
just just like there's a, you know, he mentions a, a season of killing. Does that mean there's also a season of hating? Well, we have to look at this within the greater context of Scripture. Now, we would all agree that it is, there is a righteous anger that we can have towards injustice or inequality. We should hate those things that are evil when people are taken advantage of, when, when people are maligned or ostracized. We should, take it, we, we should have a holy and righteous anger towards injustice and things like that. And, and we, we even see in Scripture that there are things that God hates, right? He, he, he specifically lists things that he hates. He hates a lying tongue. He hates uh, idolatry. You know, there, there are different things that even God hates, and, and we want to share in hating those things as well. But we also want to balance this with the fact that Jesus specifically told us to love our enemies, to bless those that persecute us, to, to pray for those that take advantage of us. If somebody wants to take one item of ours, we should give them two items. If one of our enemies asks us to go one mile, we should go two miles. So we want to balance both what Jesus says and what is being said here, that we should hate injustice and we should hate evil, but we are called to love, serve, and pray for our enemies, just as Jesus did. Because if Jesus didn't love, serve, and pray for his enemies, then none of us would have received eternal life. So we look at all of these seasons that are listed here, and we have to ask ourselves, so what? These are out of my control. You know, Solomon doesn't, doesn't tell us, you know, how we should lead into one season or, or how do we get out of the season that we're in in order to go in. He, he doesn't say anything about that. So, so why does he even bring this up? Where do we even go from here? Well, what we need to realize is we have to look at seasons and we have to look at time the way that God does. And I want to give you three points that I think will help you to thrive in every season that you are in so that you can not only believe that God is sovereign over every season, but you can see God bring you success in every season that you are in. So if you're taking notes, I, wanna, I want you to jot these down, and I hope these bless you, and I hope these encourage you. So how do we move forward in these seasons of life that we're in? Some of us right now are going through seasons of struggle, and others of us are going through seasons of success. What is God doing in each one of these seasons, and how do we thrive in them? Number one, if you're taking notes, jot this down. You don't have to understand the plan to know that God has a purpose. You don't have to understand the plan to know that God has a purpose. Not only is God sovereign over every season, he has a plan for every part of your story. If you're willing to trust him, then nothing in your life will be wasted or meaningless. But we have to look at it from God's perspective. You see, there's three, there's three 
worldviews when it comes to time and when it comes to the way life works. Uh, first off, there's the Western way of looking at time, and a lot of us can relate to this. And time is just simply linear, okay? So we just, we, we're, we're constantly moving forward, right? Forward is good, backwards is bad. We always want to be moving forward. We, we, we want to accomplish things. We want achievement. We want progress, right? We want to build on things, and we go from generation to generation building upon one accomplishment to the next, right? And that's our Western mindset. So if we're not moving forward, then something is wrong. Well, then there's an Eastern mindset, and it's completely different from this. Any of you have traveled to to Eastern countries, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Eastern mindset, it's not linear, it's circular. It's circular. You see, they look at everything through the circle of life. So there's life, I'm sorry, there's birth, there's life, there's death, and in some cases, there's reincarnation, and that's how they look at it. They just look at it through this circular lens, and it's more of a reflective thing. They, they reflect more. You know, as Westerners, we're, we're so concerned with moving forward and progress and building up the bank account, getting more degrees, accomplishing more, right? And we're constantly, we don't, we don't take a whole lot of time to reflect, to just go through a season of waiting where we just kind of reflect on the purpose of life. But you see, taken by themselves, you're going to live a life that's meaningless or empty. Because if you're living just to move forward, you'll never take time to look up. Or you'll never take time to look inward. And so, just as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, you're just moving from dust to dust. All are from dust and all return to dust. You just live your life from point A to point B, and that's it. There's nothing beyond that. You, you, there's no time to reflect on the meaning of life. There's no time to, to see whether there is a God or where, whether there is a greater purpose. It's just all about achievement and status and getting better and better. But if we look at it from just the Eastern perspective, I mean, we kind of get the point that we're just moving in a circle. There really is no point A or point B. We're not moving forward, nor are we moving backwards. We're just simply staying in one place. And so we would agree with Solomon in chapter 3 where he says there's nothing new under the sun. We just kind of move in a circle. There, there's no progress. There's no achievement. We just kind of live and we're here and then we die and that's it. But there's a third view. There's a third way to look at time. And this is what the God of Israel taught the Hebrews. That life is not just linear, nor is it just circular. Life is ascending. Life is ascending. But it's not, it's not just going up. There are times 
where we are moving forward and we're keeping our eyes on things above, but there are also seasons that are circular. So a better way to look at it would be like a roller coaster. Anybody a fan of roller coasters? <laughs> As time's gotten on, I've, I've, I can go on roller coasters less and less. I have motion sickness. It's gotten worse as I've gotten older. But what you'll discover if you're on a roller coaster, if you're able to think while you're on the roller coaster, you have a starting point, right? And you have a finishing point, but you know that within that roller coaster, there's some loops. There's some twists. There's some, tur there's some turns. And there are some loops. But if you allow God to move you forward... And to allow you to move circular, all of a sudden you can agree with Solomon in chapter 3, verse 11, where it says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. How many of you guys want to be at a point where it doesn't matter if you're moving forward, it doesn't matter if you're moving in a circle, you know that God is sovereign over every season and he is making everything beautiful in its time. Anybody in this house believe that? Here's a great illustration of this. Luke chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, I'll tell you the story. Jesus was just baptized. The Holy Spirit descended upon him, right? He was about ready to start his mission. He was going to start his three-year mission. He was going to heal the sick. He was going to raise the dead. He was going to perform signs and wonders. He was going to preach the gospel. He was going to set captives free, right? You know what I'm talking about? He was baptized. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you read from chapter 3 into chapter 4, verse 1 says that he was immediately led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Like, what? Like, he, he was just filled with the Spirit. He was just baptized. Like, he just had the mountaintop experience, right? He, he just came down from a summer camp or a retreat or a conference, right? Like, he is fired up. He is ready to go. He is ready to move forward in progress. But all of a the sudden, there was a greater plan where he needed to go through a loop. He needed to go through a loop so that he could teach us That we have to depend upon God in all things. And so Jesus spent 40 days fasting. Then he was tempted by the devil. And he overcame each of those temptations by quoting the word of God, right? I mean, how many of you guys want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? I, I, we all agree. We, we'd like to be filled. But how many of you guys want to be immediately led into a wilderness experience? And oftentimes, that's what God does. But if you look at that same chapter, verse 14, it says, After the wilderness experience, he went forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was after the loop. It was after the circle. It was after the pause and reflection that he moved forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to remind a few of you today that you might be going through a loop 
soup right now, but God isn't done with you. If you stay faithful in the loop, then he will move you forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Number two, a waiting season doesn't have to be a wasted season. A waiting season doesn't have to be a wasted season. You see, oftentimes when God takes us through a loop, our first assumption is that we did something wrong. Our second assumption is that the devil is behind this. Both of them are wrong assumptions. Just because we are not moving forward does not mean we are moving backwards. In fact, sometimes it's when we're moving in a circle that we're progressing the most. Because seasons of waiting are meant to remind us of what's really important. These circles, these loops that God takes us through, it's to remind us of our purpose, that we are here to love God and to love one another. You know what I'm talking about? When you go through a season of difficulty, a season of struggle, or a season where you just feel like you're not moving forward, all of a sudden you begin to reflect on the basics again. All of a sudden you begin to simplify things in your life. And you begin to ask God the basic questions like, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do with me? What do you want to do through me? The reason God does that The reason he stops us sometimes from moving forward and he has us go through a loop, the reason he does that is because he is more concerned with who you become than what you are doing. He is so much more concerned with what's happening on the inside than what you're doing on the outside. And he is creating you to be the man or the woman of God that he wants you to do. He has begun a good work in you, and he is going to complete it. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So I want to encourage a few of you, because this is what I do, and I'm sure some of us do this as well. When we stop moving forward, when we stop progressing, we start worrying. We start worrying. I'm doing something wrong. I must have messed up along the way. I was seeking God's will, but I must have messed up along the way. Or, man, the devil, he's on me. He's on me right now. He's on my tail. You know, he's he's trying to trip me up, right? Can I encourage you with this? Instead of worrying about getting out of the season you're in, why don't you start worshiping God while you're in the season you're in? Because the Bible says, draw near unto God, and he will draw near unto you. We need to start worrying about our situation, and we need to start worshiping God in whatever situation we are in. Just like Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I have learned to be content in whatever situation I am. Because I'm going to have a spirit of worship whether I'm in a season of struggle or a season of success. You guys agree with that? Amen. Amen. You know, a great illustration of this. You guys remember when Lazarus, Jesus' close friend, was sick? And his friends 
and family came to him and were like, Lazarus, you're, the, the one you love is, is sick. And Jesus is like, oh, man, that's, that's, really, that's really tough. That, that, I feel really bad for Lazarus. Let, let's, just, let's just wait here a few more days. <laughs> You're like, but Jesus, he's sick. You love him. You need to go, and you need to heal him. That's what you came here for, right? You came to heal the sick and to set the captives free. You, you need to go. And Jesus said, no, I, I, I need to stay here with my disciples a little bit longer, you see, because they don't realize this, but I'm taking them through a loop right now. And I'm taking Mary and I'm taking Martha through a loop right now. Martha hates this because Martha keeps wanting to move forward. She hates these seasons. And what they didn't realize is that Jesus didn't want to perform a healing on Lazarus. He wanted to perform a resurrection. He wanted to take something that was dead and bring it back to life. And sometimes that's what God wants to do in our lives. Just because it's a waiting season does not mean it's a wasted season. If you worship God through that season, then maybe it's not just a healing that he wants to do, maybe it's more of a resurrection that he wants to do in your life. Maybe he wants to bring some dead things back to life. Anybody in this room want to see Jesus bring some dead things back to life? Give him a shout of praise. Number three, just because you are delayed does not mean you are denied. Just because you are delayed does not mean you are denied. There's always something bigger going on in your life. I mean, anytime we read in the Bible about God, we, we read that his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are bigger than our thoughts. Right? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask, ever ask or think or imagine. Right? We constantly see these verses, but we fail to forget in our situation that he wants to do something bigger in us than we realize. But we also know that God isn't going to force his plans upon you. He's going to allow our free will to be exercised. That's why the Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. And I always wonder, like, God, are there things that you want to release from heaven into my life that I haven't received yet simply because I haven't asked? And I wonder, I wonder if we are so focused on our progress and we are so focused on meeting our expectations that we almost limit what God wants to do where the point, to, to the point where we expect God to meet our expectations. And I wonder if since we always expect God to meet our expectations, we don't allow God to exceed our expectations. Because God's ways are bigger than our ways. And if we spend our entire life settling for what we want, we're actually settling for less. And maybe we won't know how to step into more if God were to present it. 
Can I just encourage you with this? God is not done writing your story. He is not done writing your story. And maybe in some situations in your life, you need to stop putting a period where God has simply put a comma. Just because you haven't received it yet doesn't mean you won't receive it later. Maybe there's a bigger plan going on behind the scenes. I want to illustrate this. This is my last illustration here. Oh, if we want to get Hillary and Kate back up here, I don't know where they're at. We got them some Greek yogurt in the green room. They're probably enjoying that. How many of you guys remember the story of Saul when he was first made king? Now, if you know anything about his story, you know that he had all the potential in the world. I mean, like, literally, he was head over shoulders bigger than everyone. He, he, had, he had all the strength in the world. You know, he was tall, dark, and handsome, so I'm sure all the ladies were after him, too. Like, he had all the potential in the world. And he was made king by Samuel. And he began having victories in his life. He, he, he began uh, taking Israel out of bondage, and they began to conquer and to expand their territory, just like God desired for them to do. But in one particular battle, the, the war was raging and things were getting difficult. And men were beginning to leave Saul's army. And Saul was commanded to wait seven days. And then Samuel would come and would provide a sacrifice. And they would seek the Lord together. And if you read the story, it actually says that Saul waited seven days. Like he, he, didn't, he didn't wait six days and fall short by, by one full day. He, he waited the full seven days. It was just within minutes that he didn't reach his full potential. He was minutes away from receiving the blessing that God was about to release. And so he took matters into his own hands and he sacrificed offerings. And when the sacrifice was done, Samuel came on the scene. And you see, back then, kings couldn't offer sacrifices. Samuel, the prophet, the priest, he was the one who was supposed to do it. And Samuel was like, what have you done? If you would have just waited a few more minutes, I would have been there. And I would have provided the sacrifice. And we would have sought the Lord together. And he would have provided victory. But because you fell short, because you took matters into your own hands, God is going to take away the kingdom from you. And he's going to give it to another. And he's going to give it to someone who is going to seek after the heart of God. And I, and I wonder in our own lives if we've given up on dreams, we've, we've given up on hopes, we've given up on certain expectations simply because of time. Simply because we feel like God 
hasn't provided it yet. He hasn't done it yet, so he's not ever going to do it. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like, I'll pray for it once, and if it doesn't happen, then that's it. (laughs) Yet we see over and over in Scripture this idea of persistence, of persevering in prayer, of continuing in faith. And I want to leave you with these last couple of thoughts. Failure is not an obstacle to be used by God. It is an opportunity to be used by God like never before. Because sometimes it's in that struggle. Sometimes it's in that failure that you discover who you really are. And you discover how desperate you need the grace of God. That you can't do it in your own strength. That we are all desperate for God to intervene. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by his spirit, says the Lord. Jesus has a way of bringing dead things back to life. When you get around Jesus, (laughs) dead hopes, dead expectations, dead dreams, all of a sudden come to life again because Jesus is in the business of bringing things back to life. He said himself, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. And I wonder if some of us in the room, we've gone through such a struggle, we've gone through such a season of waiting that we feel like we've literally died on the inside. And I want to tell you, to get close to Jesus again. Because when you get close to Jesus, dead things start coming back to life. He has the ability and the power to resurrect things back to life. He doesn't just have resurrection. He is the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live forevermore. Anybody believe that in this room tonight? Would you guys pray with me for a moment? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, the only name that we can come before you. If it wasn't for Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension up into heaven, we could not be talking to you right now. God, we have, we've all failed. We've all made mistakes, God. Some of us right now are going through seasons of struggle Seasons of suffering, seasons of disappointment, maybe even seasons of failure. But God, that doesn't mean you're finished writing our story. You haven't given up on us. You will not leave us. You will not forsake us. And you're calling us to stay the course. Stay the course. Stay close to Jesus. Abide in Jesus and you will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. But through me, all things are possible. And I just want to pray over anyone in this room that just needs to return to Jesus. Whatever season they're going through. Maybe it's a season of temptation. Maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's a season where they're in absolute bondage. I just want to pray for them right now that you would set them free. 
in the name of Jesus. I, I want to pray, God, that you would bring dead things back to life, God. I want to pray that dead relationships would come back to life in this place, God, where there is bitterness, God, where, where there is envy, where there have been things that have caused death in a relationship, God. I pray that you'd breathe life back onto those things, Lord. I pray for hopes in this room, God, for those that believe God's calling you to do something, that you would take that step of faith in the name of Jesus, that you would trust that he is with you. And Father, I pray for those of us that are just simply going through a loop, that we would stay close to you, Jesus, believing that your Holy Spirit has led us here. God, even if it's our own mistake, God, you're you're able to work all things together for good. And if we stay close to you, God, we will move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I just pray you'd set hearts free in this moment. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going we're gonna to take a moment here and have communion together as a church. I want to ask that you would hold on to the cracker, hold on to the juice. We're going to partake of it together. Communion is a perfect example of a loop in our life. It's a time where we rehearse and we remember the cross of Christ and what it means to us. It's a time of reflection. It's a time where we can seek Jesus' face, thank him for what he has done on our behalf. Make confession for any sin that might be in our lives and receive his life and his sanctifying power.